0: The
1: Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more
0: information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Use code sc 220 at checkout to get 20% off your event pass. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca.
2: Welcome to the Startup Women podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women building businesses supported by true tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada from funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies. On this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. When entrepreneurs here make lemonade, they likely think of Rachel Kelly. But what is the secret to achieving this and how do you do it too? Reagan Bradley is a personal brand strategist, or put in her own words, part investigator and part storyteller. Reagan guides entrepreneurs to find their authenticity and curate the right story so they can clearly express who they are, what they do, and how they do it.
3: So it is not just your logo, not just your colors. It's the entirety of who you are and um, the signals that you put out that enable customers to trust you. And then ultimately buy from you.
2: Rachel's Make Lemonade began as a vibrant co working space in Toronto. And today, it is a boutique floral studio that blossomed from a pivot that she knew she needed to make. In this episode, Reagan draws on Rachel's experience to illustrate what a brand is, what it is not, and the tactics that will help you build a strong brand for both you and your
1: business. Everybody knows me as. Rachel Kelly make lemonade. Make lemonade Rachel Kelly. So like I'm just gonna train everybody to know that okay yeah, I once owned a co-working space now now I'm a florist.
2: Rachel Kelly is a motorcycle riding community builder creating floral art in the heart of Toronto. Like many entrepreneurs, Rachel's career is not linear and make lemonade has evolved and changed. Rachel began make lemonade as a co-working space. And amid the pandemic, she chased bigger dreams Put her degree in fine arts to use and relaunched Make Lemonade to be the floral studio it is now. We're also joined by our topic expert, Reagan Bradley. Reagan is a brand strategist who helps service based businesses become known. Part investigator, part storyteller, Reagan works with leaders to evolve a company's brand to match how they want to be perceived by their clientele. Her brand transformations create memorable first impressions for clients who first encounter their brands online. And these days, that is a lot. If you want your online presence to express your client experience, Reagan can help humanize your brand. Together today, we will explore what personal branding is, why it matters, and how entrepreneurs can make sure that what they intend to be known for is what is truly felt and recognized by their customers and clients. Welcome to the show, Rachel and Reagan.
1: Hey, excited to be here. Ah, yeah, thanks so much for an awesome intro. So let's just dive right in because this
2: is going to be a very colorful episode, just like Rachel's fabulous background of flowers <laughs> that she's got that our audience doesn't have the pleasure of seeing today. So Rachel, I'm going to kick it off to you first. You built Make Lemonade as a co-working community and this incredible space first. And today it actually now operates as a floral business. We've also had a lot of shout outs of Make Lemonade on the Startup Women podcast, so it's super great to have you here today to walk us through this journey a little bit. Bring us through that evolution.
1: Okay, so you you want me to just start from the beginning? Start from the beginning. <laughs> um, I guess like the real pivotal point of when Make Lemonade came to be um, was I was actually freelancing for a couple of years. I kind of just called myself a Jill of all trades. I was like, i google it you pay me and we'll have a great arrangement here <laughs> um and so one of my clients that i was working for actually offered me this full-time position long story short things didn't work out and it was kind of like this record rip in my life up until that point point. and i remember being really bitter and upset about the situation and i said to myself well life has had to do lemons Let's make lemonade out of the situation. And so I said to myself, I've always wanted to create my own business. Why, like, why is now, why isn't now the best time to do it? Let's just go for it. Um, And so what ended up happening is it kind of lit this fire underneath my butt to go after this thing. And I had had this idea of opening up a shared co working space because up until that point in my career, I was freelancing working for myself either from coffee shops or from home alone and I was just really jealous of everybody who had these corporate jobs who got to have these holiday parties. As a solopreneur (laughs) or as somebody who was freelancing on my own, I never had a holiday party and I was like, I want to be a part of this and I want that but I I still want to be able to work for myself. So long story short, um, a very intense year of looking for a, a commercial space to lease in Toronto, figuring out just all the legalities of opening up a shared workspace, figuring out what the branding was going to be like. There was just a lot of a lot of pieces to figure out. So it's a very intense year. I opened in September of 2017. Life was, I mean, great in quotations, it was it was like you get you work so hard and now you have to continue working hard. We can glaze over the first basically two and a half years, everything, you know, building, building, building. We get to January and February of 2020. I go, I've reached my vision. This is what I imagined the business was going to be like. And I felt like I could finally just like pat myself on the back. About a month later, the universe is like, well, you've had your fun. Let's um, let's add another lemon to the situation. So I pivoted like very quickly, less than a week of like closures announcing, we switched to an online model. Um, thankfully, we had actually had like an in-person program that was set to happen like within like a couple of weeks. So we kind of just pivoted that, turn it into an online model called the Get Shit Done Club. Um, We kind of fumbled our way through for the first couple of months, and I actually still run that uh, virtual coworking community to this day. This May, it'll be three years that I've been running the coworking community, which leads me to my next act, because I've announced now that the virtual coworking community um, is actually closing this May. Because what happened in between all of that is while I was running the uh, online space, I was dealing with uh, openings and closings of, you know, what we were allowed to do, what weren't we allowed to do. And what was really happening is a few things. Um, One, my basic morale was just kind of being tested the whole time. Um and I was also kind of sending mixed messaging to my community. I was saying, "Join us online. We've got this awesome community. Hey, come inside, but don't touch anybody and you know, keep the distance. It's space, it like it's space friendly." Let like, it was just so many messages because I mean, the very real reality is, is that I had a physical space. I had a 5-year lease, you know. There was there was a lot of responsibilities I had to deal with and a lot of a lot of messages that were being sent. So Um, I ended up closing the coworking space uh, at the end of 2021 and thought, let's just continue going forward with this online model of the community. That'll be my way forward. And what ended up happening is, although it was a lot easier to manage, my schedule got smaller and I felt like I was back to where I was beginning. I was alone working from home or sometimes at coffee shops too. And I thought I didn't I didn't this. This wasn't part of the vision. Um, And so on a whim, I decided to take a floral workshop just for fun. I loved it. I took another one, loved it some more, did a little bit of research and found out there's something called the Toronto Flower School, did a 20 hour certification. fell in love and wrote in my newsletter that I wrote right every single Wednesday to my community. I said, you know, this may just be like a midlife crisis sort of thing, or you may just be seeing the evolution of the next thing, but you can hire me to be your florist. And yeah, we're, we're not even a year into the floral side of the business. But like I said, I'm closing the club and this May of 2023, um, I will be officially full-time florist. And that's my story. Wow. Just a couple of things to
2: go into more detail into. Wow, Rachel, thank you for, for bringing us on that, that evolving journey and also having this conversation at this stage of the evolution is so interesting. Like, I wonder, you know, what reflections you're going to have a year from now as well. Super, super cool. Regan, I want to get your perspective as well, because you've taken all different types of lefts and rights. and oh, yeah. <laughs> um, your, your personal brand has evolved so much. Um, tell us about the story behind your business and why. what has really driven you to help founders find their own personal brand. Tell those stories. How did you get started?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I really resonate with Rachel's story there and how she said she had an idea and a vision and she just figured it out and kept pivoting her way like a pinball bouncing on both sides of a pinball machine until she's kind of found her path and then eventually that ball might change and you might go move it again and that's just entrepreneurship for you and I think that's what so many of us have in common so I really resonated with your story. Um, my story began, or how I found branding, was I was in university and I was working as a virtual assistant uh, for a consultant. Pretty sweet gig in university. I had blog posts and things, but it felt like nothing I was doing was really getting any traction. His website was really terrible and out of date. I could see it with my own eyes, but I had no idea on like what I what how to fix it. I was writing blog posts um, on his behalf about leadership and management really, really trying hard not to plagiarize what I was reading online because I knew nothing about those topics. Like I was 17, 18 at the time. So I went to him and I said, look, like I know you've given me this role and you know you probably don't care about it this much, but I care about it a lot. And I have a feeling when I'm looking online, there's something that's missing that I can't help you do. I just don't know what it is, but it needs to be better. You need to look better. We need to sound better. And I don't know what I don't know. And, um, I think just a kind of point there, like being okay with not knowing what you don't know and then finding help is like the way that you become an entrepreneur, right? It's always asking people for help, paying for help, doing the course, doing the training, because that's how you can actually like get the confidence to do that next thing. So, back to the story he uh was like you know what yeah you're right this isn't working I'm throwing money down the drain he didn't say it like this paying you but really what's going on here so he hired some personal brand strategists um, to create a direction for his brand and that's really when I become exposed to that term like brand strategist personal brand strategist I'm like oh that is really cool so I started studying the individual his name's Phil Palin who created the brand and he was in his thirties at the time. He was traveling around the world, living the life, like working with incredible entrepreneurs. And I was like, I want what he has. Like, I want that. I was young. I had no idea how I was going to get there. Once we were finished up with working with him, my boss's brand did a complete 180. It started attracting clients. Everything we put online looked polished. It was everything was connected and it really helped him get known in the industry. And then I'm thinking, 18-year-old self, I'm like, wow, okay, okay. So you're saying if you put yourself out there and you look good doing it, you're going to make more money and get better opportunities. I'm like, I hear you, I hear you. So I instantly started putting it into practice. um, And I had been doing that since I've started my career. So I've run events for entrepreneurs in Ottawa and when I was doing that, I embraced the personal brand as an entrepreneur advocate. Um, I created a community for pro-cannabis women. And when I was doing that, I was a cannabis advocate and developed my personal brand as like a cannabis influencer. So everything that I was involved in in my career, I embraced it full-heartedly in my personal brand. So if you go on Google and look me up, you're going to see like it all over the place, but it all really funneled into what I do now, which is brand strategy.
2: Unreal. And and I love with both of your stories, this like attitude of like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to shift directions when we need to. We're going to be vulnerable in those moments to know um, when you don't have the answers or when you're pursuing a passion that you might not have the quote, like experience or the paper that justifies the experience, etc. Because so many entrepreneurs I think are waiting for that moment to have you know the perfect resume for entrepreneurship. And that doesn't exist, right? It's more of an attitude and an approach to to solving problems. I love that common link across both of your stories. For anyone who's listening to this podcast and is like, what is a brand? (laughs) Because I think this is such a big term. Is it your social media presence? Is it your web? Is it the actual visuals? What is a brand? Reagan? how do you define it? And what are some of the misconceptions people hold about what it is, what it's not, and what it can actually do for a person or a company? You've sort of alluded to some of those examples with your first boss. Uh, But help us put some scaffolding around what the brand is. Okay, yeah, totally.
3: Let's start with the benefits. So I like to describe the benefits through a concept I coined called the brand accelerator. And it's actually what I name my packages for clients because branding accelerates your relationship with potential customers. And when you accelerate that relationship, it speeds up the buying cycle. So it Someone doesn't know who you are, you're completely, and in they interact with your brand. It helps you go from unknown to paying customer faster, right? And we're thinking about brand in a term, in a sense where you have a service or product or something to sell or market to the public, right? Let me tell you what happens when your brand's not, you don't have a brand. So say, you know, you're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling on Instagram and you get a video and the video it looks really compelling and it's some cool brush that you think that you might need so then you click on the website and then you read the reviews and the reviews are this sucks it broke within five minutes of using it um you look at the photos they have no imagery of people actually using the brush it all looks like stock that cons like that company instantly lost you that money that they put into those ads to get you to the website gone like that money was wasted meanwhile you get a brand that advertises you a product um, and the journey looks entirely different. And I want to explain it with a brand that I recently just purchased um, something off of called Cotton. So Cotton, K-O-T-N, is a Canadian sheets brand. They sell premium sheets. I was looking up sheets on the internet. I wanted a new pair and I started getting served ads by Cotton. I went onto their website. I noticed that they were a B Corp. Um, I looked at their imagery and I noticed that the aesthetics of their um, product photography really aligned with the minimalist interior design style that I have. So those were cues, brand cues that I had in my head that ended up being trust signal that this brand is worth the price that it's marketing itself and Therefore, I actually ended up buying the sheets. So that's the difference of having a brand and not having a brand. So it is not just your logo, not just your colors. It's the entirety of who you are and um, the signals that you put out that enable customers to trust you and then ultimately buy from you.
2: Mm, I love that, thinking about, yeah, signals, which can come in so many different sort of tactical um, spaces or, or in that execution side that can mean so many different things. I love that framework. Um, and we're also very big fans of Cotton at Startup Canada. They provide all of our swag. So great shout all out right. there for Reagan. So perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, when you were building Make Lemonade and that entire brand, What was most helpful for you? What sort of cues or signals were you trying to put out through maybe V1 of the brand and also V2, V3, V4?
1: (laughs) Yeah, all all the different versions of the brand. Actually, when when Reagan was uh, speaking, I wrote a a little note of putting um, accelerator equals putting odds on your side. I think that is like the thing that I was really, I didn't have that terminology, but I think for me, when I was starting Make Lemonade, I... I knew for for certain that it was like, it was a deeply like personal kind of thing. I was going to be the face. I was going to be the person who was going to be at the front desk. I'm changing the garbage. I'm doing it all. So I knew that and whether there's an email, Instagram DM, everyone's being connected with me. So number one, it was pretty hard or pretty easy rather for the messaging to stay consistent at the beginning because it was always me who was doing that. Um, But I think those certain touch points, I had to make sure that I was staying consistent and that I wanted it to be a good experience, no matter which point somebody came in and uh, came into the journey, whether they're coming into the space, they're connecting with us online, they're sending an inquiry to rent a rent a meeting room, whatever it may be, it all had to be kind of the same vibe. So then anytime anybody was um, uh, joining the team, I was figuring out what that kind of messaging was so that everyone could get that same kind of experience. Um, But really, like, all those odds on on my side, I think, is really the other part of the the puzzle piece, like looking at it from the owner side is, it's not just about um, making sure everyone has a good experience, or, or I guess that is the whole point is making sure everyone has a good experience is going to equal more sales, happier reviews, it's, it's all just going to help um, create a, a better experience for everybody. And then the other thing I wanted to mention that when I was starting out, I was looking at okay i'm starting this co-working space in toronto well how many other co-working spaces are there in toronto um okay cool so i'm competing with you know a good 50 plus other spaces so how is my space going to be different what's the differentiator um again how can i put the odds on my side that when people look at make lemonade or when they're looking up different co-working spaces and they come across make lemonade immediately they're going to go oh the imagery is nice and bright Oh, they responded to my email right away. Oh, they they're super kind on Instagram. It was like all these things that I could just set myself up for success without even really having to lift a finger. Those were simple little things I could do right from the beginning. And then as I've evolved, because it's always been me, I've just kind of was like okay well a lot of my brand values are still going to stay the same um maybe now i kind of just tried to imagine like okay if my brand was levi's levi's sells you know they sell shirts and they sell jeans and maybe shoes all sorts of things so as i'm evolving my offerings i'm going okay well I'm still the same brand, but I'm just no longer offering jeans. Maybe now I'm focusing on selling boots instead, but the customer service is still gonna be the same. I'm still gonna try and respond to the emails in a timely fashion. Um, and then the honesty part of just, you know, taking everybody along for the journey, that has just, that has been my special sauce, has just been yes. like, come along, we'll figure it out.
2: Again, that was gonna be, you know, my, my next question for you, Rachel, is really, in this evolution of brand, you decided to continue using Make Lemonade as that company name, as the brand name, even though your business looks completely different. You'd go to both Make Lemonades for, for two different things. Did you ever consider that a change in name or rebrand? Um, or did you feel this approach and you know, your values are still remaining? You are still the person behind this company. All those other signals that would sort of join you on that journey, is that what made you decide to keep Make Lemonade?
1: You know what? It was a lot less work. (laughs) that. (laughs) (laughs) That was basically it. It was just like, well, why would I change the domain? Why would I change my email? All of my contacts, everybody knows me as Rachel Kelly. Make lemonade. Make lemonade, Rachel Kelly. So like, I'm just gonna train everybody to know that. Okay, yeah, I once owned a co-working space. Now, now I'm a florist. Like, I think one thing that I was having a really hard time with when I was making the transition was like. This does not make sense. How does co-working space go to floristry? But a lot of advice I was receiving throughout this whole process um, was that I'm I'm the owner. I get to make it make sense. I get to decide what makes sense for me. Um, obviously, the name Make Lemonade really also just lends itself to evolution. So I'm. I, I the other thing I kind of kept telling myself, like as I was going through this transition, was I was like, well. I'm only at the point when I was starting, I was like, I'm only 31. Like, so much can happen. So many things can evolve. So this is where I'm at now. You know, five years ago, I opened a co-working space. Now I'm a florist. Like, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years? And maybe make lemonade will be a whole different thing. But I don't know. It's like, I just have to decide that I'm okay with where the journey's going. And and take this the take the community along for the ride. I love that. It's all this
2: whole brand is about taking risks and making lemonade. Like it I didn't actually clue into that until right now, but it is actually <laughs> such a brilliant branding tool to show your own evolution and give yourself that that you know possibility or that opportunity as you evolve over the next, you know, 70 years in creating fabulous businesses.
3: Super cool. Right? I have even something to add to that too. Um, you know, when you tie up your business brand with your personal brand, it becomes a part of your identity. And when you're ready, your personal brand is ready to evolve and you're ready to change, but your business is behind, you feel like because they're so extra, like they're so tied in with one another, you feel like you're losing a piece of your identity if you change your business or you change your brand from what it is. So the first time you do it, it's extremely hard. Like I I used to be known as this, I've built my reputation up as this, and now I'm going to become this. But the truth is um, if you're doing what Rachel's doing, which is bringing people along for the journey, which she has been from the beginning, people are totally fine. Your community will come with you to the next phase. So so easy to just say out loud, like, oh, I switched from community to florist, but in your heart, that was probably so, so difficult for you. So I just want to acknowledge that for any entrepreneur that is thinking about pivoting, like don't let your old identity prevent you from evolving.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, two things I wanted to add about that is one, it's like, do it like, I think doing things with integrity and just being honest about it it's like no one is ever going to be mad at you for for being like truthfully honest and then the second thing is the added bonus of taking your community along for the journey um a lot of my beginning clients um were all my past members so it's also just this other added bonus that i'm already kind of starting with the with the client base um and they're going to be able to tell other people about what i'm doing too so um I, I'm I'm pro I'm pro pivot your brand if it makes sense for you and makes sense for for what feels right for yeah, you. Yeah, feels
2: authentic. I love that, Reagan. Do you have any other advice for entrepreneurs who you know want to pivot their business? How can this affect them from a brand perspective? Um, if you know they're not planning on bringing their community along the journey, if they're really planning a dramatic pivot, maybe without some of those initial planted seeds, um, what advice mm-hmm. do you have to help prep? Um, an entrepreneur considering making that shift?
3: Yeah, I think just knowing that every business pivots and if you want to scale your business or become a better business, you ultimately will pivot and just know that going into it, um, that probably will happen for you. Um, But to be more tangible, um, you should pivot every single time you change your offer or it evolves. Um, You should reposition your business or pivot your business um, every single time you get closer of your ideal customer and you know, the person that you want to, um, you know, the person that you want to work with. Um, and that can be in two directions. It could be, I want to work with these people because I actually like working with these people or I want to work with these people because these are the people that can get the most value from what I can actually offer. And both of those kind of come together with how you should position your business to align with your target audience. So I'm gonna give you an example of a client that I worked with, um, they're called Snappy. They are a technology company that um, basically helps companies merge their in-person retail experience with online experience through like rewards and POS, like everything. Um, so when they came to me, they're like, oh, we need a website, you know, like just get it up there. But then when I started peeling back the layers of the onion, I'm like, well, who is your audience? And they were like, well, anyone with a retail space. But when we looked at the customers that were um, buying, uh, buying their product for multiple locations, um, that were giving them the most amount of money, that were using their whole product suite, it wasn't everyone with a retail location. It was actually just restaurants. So we re, we repositioned um, their business to pull out the, Elements that restaurant owners care about in their marketing and in their branding and then since then it's given their team a lot more clarity like their sales team a lot more clarity on who to chase after their marketing team to get more um, specific on like the imagery and the marketing message they share everything is much more aligned now in their business thanks to repositioning
2: and that's an important note I think in. Even my own perception of what a brand is being more of like a communications tool or being this sort of like external um, comms focus without connecting it directly to business results that you've just provided such a great illustration of all of these internal business processes and clarity for the organization that resulted from a conversation around the external brand and who is actually using this Um, offering and, you know, the target audiences, et cetera. So as entrepreneurs, this is an investment that can really um, support us across the entire business when we have that clarity of who we are, um, our target audience, what we're actually offering and ensuring there's that alignment between those those sort of groups. Um, And that is a complicated conversation sometimes because we often get very tied to our ideas and think that they're perfect and why wouldn't everybody want this particular thing? Um, So great, great examples.
3: Yeah, I actually have a framework that maybe some of your listeners can apply to get closer to their niche and their brand positioning. Um, so every quarter, I want you to create a table, and these are the columns that I want on the table. First column is past clients. This is specific to service-based businesses in SaaS. It's a little bit different when you have a consumer product. So you have your past clients. Then you have clients who bought from you quickly in the next column. The third column is clients you enjoy working with most. And in the fourth column, you have clients who you provide the most value to. If you list all of the clients that you've worked with in column one and you answer, you move them across each of the columns, you're going to start to see certain clients' names come up more consistently than others. For example, you might have client B that bought quickly, but you didn't like working with at all, but then you might have client D that bought quickly, you provided insane value to, and you enjoyed working with. And what you want to do is over time or every quarter, you want to start noticing the trends of those specific clients, and then you're getting closer to your positioning, and it's based on actual data.
2: Mm. Love a good data conversation yeah. <laughs> tracking measurements, and that can often be put to the side on our to-do list, but such a helpful, easy framework, Regan, um, for, for us to leverage. So, Rachel, I want to pass it over to you as well in still rooting this conversation very practically in thinking, okay, I, I have this brand or a couple of these elements that I would sort of identify as branding, um, and I really want to try to get that out to my audience. What tactics did you use? Was it very much word of mouth that you're getting to know Rachel mm-hmm. Kelly and that's setting the tone for your brand? Did you use your website as a key tool, social media? Um, how did you express your brand and its evolution? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so first things first, before I I guess once I really landed on the idea, um, the whole process of opening a co-working space is kind of wildly slow. And then very quickly, Then it speeds up very quickly Um, because the the biggest piece is that you need a space. And, um, you know, from having this idea to actually finding the right space, it's a bit of like, okay, I'm scared for me in in this, uh, in this scenario, it was my first business. So it was like, this is a, this is a huge thing I'm stepping into. And like, just as a side note, my huge, hugest learning lesson is that delusion will get you farther than you think. So honestly, I love that. Let's go for it. Delusion gets you so much farther. Cause really, I can't believe that at 26, I was like, let's open a co working space and see what happens. What I did and immediately, once I was like, okay, I'm set on this idea, is I'm gonna start an Instagram account. Like, Let's just kind of put this idea out there. Let's just kind of share what I'm looking for. Let's see what other people are interested in. Like, let's kind of pull the community. I mean, at this point, like there was no stories, but like there are our um, availability on Instagram was pretty limited, but people would be commenting and just letting me know, oh, I'd love a space with more greens and this and that. I love a sunny space, love a place. Uh, They started to get a little uh, very specific. I was like, well, I can't make all your dreams come true, but I'll see what my real estate agent can, can come up with. But that was kind of a nice little tester for me before actually committing and going all the way in Um, so that was step one so that i knew okay i'm gonna have i'm gonna have at least some i'm gonna generate some interest right from the get-go um I had actually connected with uh, someone else on online when I started this community uh, and she uh, runs a PR firm. And so we kind of just stayed connected. And I was like, I think I'm going to need your services once I once I get started. Um, You know, here's another tip is understand the difference between marketing and PR, because when you don't know, you don't know. And I think that's a very common thing for a lot of people to not understand the difference. And, you know, a very real thing that happened to me was she asked me once I'd already hired her. Well, what's your marketing plan? And I was like, you're my marketing plan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was, but anyways, that ended up being a really fantastic thing for me. It was getting a lot of that just initial press right from the get-go. One thing I didn't do actually when I first began though, was like I kept myself as a complete secret. And nobody knew that it was Rachel Kelly who was running Make Lemonade because I really wanted to make sure that people, um, Liked what I was creating, and they liked it for what it was. They didn't like it because they liked me. But I knew things were working once my friends started sending me "Make Lemonades" Instagram profile and said, "You should check this out. You'd really like it." Oh, my gosh. Surprise! Like, well, yes. <laughs> I was like, "Surprise! It's me. It's I'm the <laughs> Can you tell everybody you know?"
3: Oh my gosh, <laughs> I
1: love that yeah so there's an, a nice little element of surprise there too but i think like just you know my lessons that i've learned uh from all of that is like shout it from the rooftops tell people what you're creating and like let them know how passionate you are about it because you know you can have this most beautiful brand ever. But like, if you don't know that there's a real person behind it or a real team of real humans behind something, at the end of the day, you really are only going to feel that glossy logo or that fancy website. And, you know, even what, what Reagan is talking about, like a brand is so much more than just those, those basic things. So the few tactics I used to open make Lemonade was You know start small start on Instagram Um, I learned you know talk about myself and my journey and PR in my case like really helped to just get the word out right from the get-go but my learning lesson in that is um, have a marketing plan figure out okay once somebody does land on your website what's the journey where do I actually want people to go because I got a lot of traffic to the website with no idea what to do at the beginning
2: Fascinating, Rachel. And Reagan. with other entrepreneurs that, that you've worked with, what have been your first building blocks of like building that brand? If somebody is starting this from scratch, um, do you tell them to focus on the personal brand first or the company brand or a little bit of both? Uh, what tactics do you often explore first when somebody's starting from scratch?
3: Yeah. So it's a on what their goals are if they and depends on the type of business so if they're offering a service based business and their business is small like one to three people um, and they have one-to-one relationships with their clients I recommend doing either like a company personal brand hybrid approach where you know you might have a company name you might have some associates but your brand your personality is coming through so then you can authentically build your thought leadership around your business brand and it all is connected and you are you know pulling people in from your network I find what a lot of individuals do is they are a little bit scared to put their face up to, next to their brand because you know, they're worried about failing. Some of these themes are even just coming up and with, with what Rachel said, right? Like, well, I don't wanna fail or I don't wanna seem unprofessional. Like That's a really big one. They think that um, if they come out as a corporate brand, they're going to be having more respect than if they were to come out uh, as a personal brand. Truth is, right, if you're starting a business and you're just an an individual person, you are as far or you are as professional as your experience allows you to be, right? So if you don't have any experience doing financial advisory, but you have this beautiful corporate brand, the minute that you have a conversation with a corporate client, they're going to be able to see right through you and there's going to be inauthenticity. So the very first step that I recommend for every entrepreneur is to work in i mean it's cliche the terms used a lot but it's like that genius zone and it doesn't necessarily always need to be within your past experience but it could be in your um, hobbies and interests too and what's something that you can talk about confidently and just talk and talk about forever and never get sick of um doing that's where you should start with your personal brand
2: Mm, Very cool. You use this term, uh, cool factor. You know, what's an entrepreneur's cool factor that they can find through this journey with you? How does one identify this? Like even myself, I'm like, what is my cool factor? <laughs> Where, what are the prompts that help somebody identify what that secret sauce is? Because I think, yes, everybody is a super unique snowflake and that's fabulous, but there's so much competition. There's so many other you know entrepreneurs popping up, potentially working in similar competitive industries to you. How do you find that secret sauce and know that it, it is truly a secret sauce, not just you know I'm X or Y that other people could
3: sort of claim as well? I love that you asked that. I feel I use the word cool factor because cool is totally subjective and depending on the person um but a word that's more commonly used in branding and we've been throwing it around a lot is what is that authentic like what makes you authentic and that's really what I'm looking for that is the cool factor right so before I bring my clients to this accelerator process where I actually build their brand I'm looking for that like what is that cool thought factor and a lot of them know what it is but they haven't articulated it themselves so some of the prompts, I call them the three R's of authenticity and those three R's are, is what's reliable in this individual, like where are they consistently providing value to their customers and that's around like their offer. Second R is relatable. What is their culture? Who is the person behind the business and how can we bring that through in their communications so that um, their voice and what they talk about Um, is relatable to the people that they want to ultimately market to. So for example, Harley Davidson, built by bikers. Bikers are rebellious, right? And so that's what their brand is. Their brand is for the rebels. Um, And in doing so, in putting that relatability factor out, they are attracting that type of people and is perpetuating the brand. And then finally, repetitive. So I'm listening to when I'm chatting with my clients, like what themes are coming up? what values do they keep saying? So for example, even yesterday, I had a call with a financial advisor and I say, what makes you different? And she's like, oh, well, I wanna make finance approachable. And then they go, okay, well, um, what's your biggest challenge that clients have? And they like, oh, well, clients feel like they don't need financial advising and they're scared to ask questions. So I'm starting to see the themes, right? Like finance shouldn't be scary. Finance is something that we should all do. Um, So what is those repetitive values that are keep coming up because those should be incorporated in your brand. Um, Because when you find those out, you can continue to scale on them. So even take Lululemon, right? They started out as yoga. Um, That thing that they talked about all the time though was wellness, right? And now they've scaled into every single sport, but they always bring it back to wellness and being intentional with your fitness. So just to recap, how can your brand be repetitive in terms of your values, relatable in terms of actually talking to the people that you want to work with and market to, and reliable, which is like where can you provide the most value through your offer, your service, or your product?
2: Awesome, love another framework on the Startup Credit
1: Podcast.
3: <laughs> <I remember laughs> on frameworks, on frameworks.
1: <laughs> I was taking notes. Like I have it written. Yay. Hey. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, One thing I wanted to add to that is I've worked with so many entrepreneurs over the years and just kind of seen the ups and downs. I mean, I think one thing that was hard for me and also a highlight for me in some respects, too, was that I kind of played this like part time therapist sort of thing because it's the space. A lot of entrepreneurs come in and, you know, you chat and all of a sudden you've learned their whole life story. And I think one thing that I've really learned throughout the years, and I've gone through this as well, is it's just like this this wild emotional roller coaster that you go on when you're when you're an entrepreneur. And a lot of it's like you're like, I didn't sign up for this. And all of a sudden you find you've taken about 10,000 different courses, all with a different special way if you know if you just follow these six steps you're gonna all of a sudden make six figures in six minutes for the rest of your life and i think one other big key piece to helping you find that special sauce is kind of taking everything that you've learned putting it through your own personal filter and deciding what works for you um for me what happened at the end of 2021, i don't even know at the end of one of the year <laughs> My mom does our bookkeeping for Make Lemonade, and she said, Rachel, you spent so much money on personal development. You've been in business for personal and professional development. You've been in business for over five years now. You know so much. You need to stop investing in them and you need to listen to what you already know. And so all of a sudden, I was like, she was like, why do you keep doing this? And I was like, I don't think I believe in myself. And that was like the ultimate switch for me. And I kind of made this personal mission. I was like, I don't think I need to sign up for any more courses. I probably need to sign up for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Help me sort out a few of my, my own things, but you know, really, I think that's another piece that really helped me figure out my special sauce was just going, okay, I'm going to stop listening to all this other advice and start just really using what I've learned and, and, you know, make my decision for myself um, and so for this year i've made this decision that i'm like i'm not paying for any more courses in the floristry world um, instead i'd rather get paid to learn um, so the fantastic way the fantastic thing about floristry is that a lot of florists need extra labor on their jobs so i've signed up for a ton of floor uh, freelance gigs um and i'm learning so much in a different way instead of Um, I guess learning it in a a classroom kind of setting, I get to learn it with my hands and it works really well for that thing. So anyways, that's my, my other piece of advice there.
2: Oh, so good.
1: Lemonade.
2: I know that that's such a, (laughs) Rachel, I love that. And, and that intuition piece that comes up on every Mm. single startup women podcast episode in pretty much every conversation we have at startup Canada with founders. Um, yes. Competence breeds confidence in some ways, and you wanna have those basics and that anchoring so that it serves you in how you enter a room and how you enter your ventures but there is a fine line of also just having to trust that intuition um, and that gut instinct more than anything. And, and you're the only person who can actually really tap into that intuition. Nobody's going to be able to look at you and know, okay, this is something you should or shouldn't be doing. You have to hone that yourself and have the courage mm-hmm. to actually act on that. Um, and with, with this evolution of your brand, um, it's, it's such a beautiful sort of illustration of like, a maximum pivot um, that I also think is really comforting for people to think, oh, it doesn't have to be a gentle transition into something that's sort of similar to what I did before. The polarity of your experience, I think, is so helpful because you don't see as many founders telling those types of stories these days, I feel like.
1: Yeah. But you know what? We have one life. We get to do whatever the heck we want with it. And I think a lot of the time we forget that like every single thing we are doing is all made up. Like we have all <laughs> decided what these rules are. Everything is made up. We we are the the star in, of our own story. So, you know, if you're bored of something, if you're tired of something, you can change. And you know, I I always my kind of like personal motto is that like nothing's impossible. Sometimes it's just complicated. I love, I love it. that. Nothing
2: is impossible. Sometimes it's just complicated. There's your post-it moment, people. <laughs> right
3: out of your post-it. And even just to add to that, I have people, mm-hmm. you know, when people, always oh, the first question that new people ask is, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a brand strategist. I help professional service providers build their websites and brands so they can communicate with confidence and charge more. You know, I say the whole pitch and they say, well, do you like it? And then I go, yeah, I mean... It's a job that I created out of thin air to line with everything that I'm good at, and I get to do exactly what I want to do every single day. And I think that relates so well with what you said, like Rachel. It's like we're making it up, but I mean, we're doing a pretty damn well good job at it because we've been making a career out of it. So, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I keep saying make lemonade. We're we're all making lemonade, but I'm just going to keep repeating. Yes, absolutely. We're making more (laughs) lemonade, getting more lemons up in here. Amazing. Amazing. And Reagan, are there certain exercises that entrepreneurs can do to really develop something that feels in alignment with their own brand? That if you are very, um, you know, Proper and structured, and maybe a little bit more on the rigid side, and you want that to come across in your brand, and you don't want to be seen as as playful or um, using the those sort of um, tools how do you work with your clients to really understand what are the right descriptors what are the right adjectives and tell the right stories so that their personality really shines through appropriately through their brand
3: i think the first piece is like figuring out a little bit more about who you are and doing some self-reflecting for personal branding so often what i do for my clients is i get them to complete the myers-briggs 16 personality mm-hmm. tests and i get them to send me over their personality so while, while i do interview them um, before i start any project uh you know, you only know what you can get from a two hour conversation, but when I can see what their personality is, I can actually start to get a feel of like, okay, this is how, this is what this person isn't doing. That isn't aligned with who their personality is because they just don't have like the tools to be able to write in this certain way or frame themselves in that certain way. And that's really what I help them with. Um, In terms of just expressing your personal brand though, I think you show you can express your personal brand by showing what you're doing. So I mean, for Rachel, showing like creating bouquets like her at weddings, right? Like your personality or your personal brand doesn't necessarily have to be through writing if you are a more creative entrepreneur. But if you're more of a financial advisor, maybe you're putting out reports. If you are a strategist and storyteller like me, then you might spend time telling stories and helping people learn how to do frameworks, right? Like it's all about um, putting out there to show your subject matter expertise. So it's, um, again, going back to those trust signals, right?
1: I just remembered something else I'd love to add to is i think when it comes to like that key messaging um i think the bigger challenge is not figuring out different ways to tell your customer about the thing you do it's about um Understanding and being okay with some of the consistent key messaging, and figuring out ways so you don't get bored of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you, your messaging is always basically going to be very similar. You're just going to kind of spice it up every once in a while. But your customer isn't going to remember the exact same thing that you said that you say every single Wednesday or whatever it may be um, to you as the um, as the as the entrepreneur. You may get really bored of that kind of thing, but your customer is not going to see that all the time. They're just going to go, oh yeah, you're the lemonade brand. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Somebody the other day said to me, oh, I forgot you were doing flowers. I was like, what? Okay. I'm obviously not talking about this enough, or there's something that I need to, I need to spice up in my world. I feel like I'm talking about it all the time. So it's just, my own personal mission to not get bored of talking about the same thing.
3: I think that's really interesting too. And just to even use it for my own personal brand is um, when I was pivoting or from cannabis influencer, which I build my brand, mostly on Instagram, it was very visible, visual, like beautiful feminine photos of like me consuming cannabis, really fun stuff. But then I'm like, okay, well I'm kind of done with this now. Um, and I want to start talking about branding and strategy, but I built out this whole like audience on my Instagram with individuals that sure, they know that I'm an entrepreneur and I'm building my a business, but I'm not sure if they really care that much about this messaging, nor is that audience there. Like my ideal clients are not in that space and, or in that community. So I started posting more on LinkedIn, which is where my like where I could really show off my subject matter expertise. And my pillars are branding and freedom lifestyle. And how can you develop um, a business that aligns with your lifestyle and then position your brand to give you that lifestyle, your brand and business. So now really what I've done is I've used... LinkedIn to talk a little bit more about branding and do storytelling about my clients and then if people really look me up and they're considering working with me they can check out my Instagram and see that I'm living the lifestyle that I'm preaching so um, and that keeps it really fun for me because I can talk a little bit about business on my Instagram you know show that I'm a well-rounded person because that's what people want to see but then I have a space where I can be professional and you know a little bit more buttoned up and that's what social media is all about right It's about, you know, maybe repurposing one piece of content, but saying it in different ways, depending on the platform that you're Mm -hmm. on and the community that you've cultivated on that platform.
1: Yeah. You know what? This also reminds me of some great advice I got um really recently because, you know, now there's Instagram and there's TikTok and like everybody, there's just so many different ways that we can be sharing content. Um, but somebody was saying to me, you know, use these different platforms for the, like for one type of service or something like that. Like don't, you don't have to say the exact same message across every single platform, but really think about who is that customer that is showing up on LinkedIn. That customer is going to be a little bit different than on Instagram. Versus TikTok, so um, yeah, showcasing kind of certain certain elements of what you're doing depending on the platform.
2: Amazing, and being sensitive to not just you know a sort of hockey stick over onto one side and then over onto the other in a way that's just like who is this person? Like, like, are they actually aligning to one entity and that feeling reasonable? Because I could also totally see that being a challenge. Not completely changing the messaging and tone and um, you know vibe of what you're offering per platform. So it's a balance pulling on that string a little bit and and looking at perception and making sure that your brand is being clearly understood and is true versus um, you sort of assuming that what you're putting out there is garnering Um, the right understanding. Because sometimes there's a huge disconnect between what we think we're putting out there and what is actually being absorbed by our audiences. Regan, you sometimes, you know, are working with entrepreneurs thinking that they're being perceived a particular way, but they're not. And sometimes you, I imagine, are having those hard conversations with them (laughs) throughout that um, sort of ideation phase of, of your engagement. How can entrepreneurs be mindful of this balance and really ensure that they're showing up how they intend to be? Do you recommend kind of focus groups or getting feedback from different trusted audience members, feedback from strangers, what's a a vehicle to really better understand what is landing in people's hearts and heads?
3: Okay. There's actually a very, very easy way. If you provide professional service or any type of service-based business, is are you getting referred the types of clients that you want to work with? And if you're getting referred clients that don't align with anything that you do, then the people that know you don't know what you're doing. And obviously, that's not coming across. And that's it, really. Because, and then sometimes when you know, if you're getting those referrals from an individual and they are inconsistent, then educating them on what you're doing and then maybe asking them to have a conversation and saying like, well, why do you think that I am doing this? Or, you know, and kind of getting that raw, like that raw data from them, but it really is based on like, and even for example, I was going, I went out when I first started, you know, my branding journey. And um, I heard my partner like on a video call with someone, we sit right across from one another and he's like, Oh yeah, my partner does this. And he's explaining what I'm doing. And I'm like, this is, and I'm like, if my partner can't even explain what I do, this is at the very beginning, guys, that I'm, I'm going to mind you. Yeah. I figured out my brand. Um, so then I, I educated him and I told him and now he's, you know, he's landed my pitch. Um, <laughs> but I think that is, that's how you know if it's unaligned. Often you can't see it. Other people do, though.
2: It's like these blank spots sometimes. And that's in every part of the business. It's it, You see this sort of appearing in all these different ways. Rachel, was there anything uh, that you found helpful in making sure that you were, you know, finding the right people to come to make Lemonade as well? That the community, if you're not in like a like-minded space or in, in a space where people um, feel that they can authentically connect, then that compromises the experience, right? How did you find those right people and make sure that they were being attracted to the brand?
1: You know what really worked for me? And this is something that because this was like a, we really needed a lot of referrals. We needed like-minded people to tell other like-minded people. So it kind of, it, it mattered right from the beginning of like, okay, I'm setting the tone. So I need to make sure that that kind of feeling, that energy is going to translate with, whoever else is coming in and telling telling their cool quote unquote cool friends to to come and join the cool party um i'm saying all this in air quotes for everybody (laughs) 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 um but a really cool thing that worked for us and uh in the make lemonade community um is something called that we ran called the front desk gang and i got this idea from other uh, yoga studios um and it was like an energy exchange because the time when i started there was only one of me but there was a lot more people who were coming into the space and people needed to know where the meeting rooms were how to make the coffee where the bathrooms were be greeted at the front desk go on tours there was a lot of things and then also make sure that the garbage wasn't overflowing and that there was toilet paper and all sorts of things um so i started something called the front desk gang um and it was it was an energy exchange program where if you knew, donated five hours of your time to help manage the front desk Greet people, then you would get a free membership in exchange. Um, and so I had about ten people who would uh, work work a shift throughout a week, um, and those became my ambassadors. They were my make lemonade cheerleaders, and they kind of went through a very a very simple um, interview process to see, okay, is this person going to work to join the team? Um, and also, it was it was a really you know. It was, it was a win-win situation because for a lot of entrepreneurs who were starting out, they wanted to be a part of a community of other entrepreneurs. They wanted to get out of their home. and, But at the time when they're beginning, a lot of the time, your your startup costs aren't going to cover an office space as well. Um, and then for me, I got this extra help too. And it was this, this fantastic community of people who could help me run, make lemonade, and I could rely on sharing the the proper Make Lemonade messaging with everybody else in the community too, and they could tell their community um, about the space too. So that's something that worked really, really well. And Cheryl, who was on one of the past um, episodes, she was one of the front desk members. All roads lead back Mm -hmm. to Make Lemonade on this podcast.
2: (laughs) All these folks who have worked in Toronto, either full-time, (laughs) part-time, that's fabulous. Very cool. And Regan, for other entrepreneurs who are saying, um, you know, okay. What's the minimum viable brand? <laughs> Maybe if they're trying to approach this conversation, uh, we we talked a little bit about this earlier. Is there a non-negotiable suite of strong, recognizable brand elements that? entrepreneurs should be focused on? Website, social media channels, just the voice and the tone anchoring that, the you know the personality behind the brand. What would you say are the non-negotiables when you're approaching brand conversation?
3: I think the very first thing that every brand or, or individual that wants to have a personal brand is figure out what their voice is and those key messages. It's going back to that, right? What do you want to be known for? What are you extremely good at? And what can you talk about with confidence and authority? uh sometimes when you're just starting out if you're younger and you're just starting your career um, that starts by repurposing or resharing other people's content that you really respect Um, but as you grow and you become more established and you have that experience yourself it's actually developing that thought leadership so to be a thought leader you actually have to think about what you're going to say right like it's not just sharing step-by-step frameworks it's not teaching people how to do what you're doing It's showing them that you have stories or you have original ideas and you can connect stories to ideas. That's what shows people that you actually know what you're talking about. So I would say first to make it a little bit more tactical, get going on whatever social media platform of your choice where your ideal audience hangs out and get going on that and get get your voice out there, develop your concepts, your frameworks. Um, next step would be, I mean, optimizing obviously your profile to say what you do. Um, I am an X who writes about X for X. Um, and then once you have that, you build a little bit of traction, you can get your website up and going. Um, in the beginning, I had this question a lot. So when should I invest in brand? Uh, I will not work with people who haven't had any experience working with clients. no client work, no brand, because you don't actually have any data to say that, well, my brand should be this way. It's all based on yourself. And if you're doing it that way, sure, it's great for like a minimal viable product. You can create like a Squarespace website, spin it up so you have something. But when it's time to invest in a brand is when you actually um, have experience working with clients and you want to target them a little bit more effectively.
2: Mm. And in that journey, is a brand ever done? Like is, is, is it a, a puzzle that can have every single puzzle piece and be complete and then you just continue business as usual leveraging that, bl- that brand? Um, or is it always something that needs care and nurturing and naturally evolution as as your business kind of grows? What's your philosophy on
3: it being done or not? I think Rachel said this so well earlier when she said it's about putting your personal filter on it. So a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs do is they do what we did. We, you, you know, you get a course and you self train yourself, and you do programs, you do professional development, and then you apply what other people are doing, and then eventually you start to put your own creative spin on it, and that's when your brand actually starts to come through. So even to use myself as an example, um, yes, I would help. Professional service providers create brands. But the freedom lifestyle piece that I talk about a lot has only started coming through as I've actually started doing my business and realized this is one of my core values. And I want Mm -hmm. to work with people who want something similar because I can help them get there with their branding. But that's not something that, a course, is going to tell me like, oh, you're going to this is how you create a brand. And you also want to go this angle like you only know that through actual experience and getting right, like writing, getting um, your ideas out there kind of, yeah peeling back layers of the onion, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think
1: there's, there's a lot of layers to I this heard. onion. I think I would even argue that we've got a whole um, vegetable drawer in the fridge that we're really dealing with. <laughs> because I think that, you know, it can kind of evolve in like, okay, well, you as a person, as the entrepreneur are going to evolve. But so, so for me, in my case, it was like, okay, I started to outgrow a little bit of what I was doing. I was like, I don't think I wanna just continue doing this online community. And I'm just gonna pause that for one second because I I also noticed a trend that was happening in my community is that I really found, especially in the online community space, um, I was was able to support entrepreneurs who were in, in their first couple of years. That's what I was able to do in the online community. But what I was finding was a lot of community members would come, they would grow, and they would go. And it was up to me to decide, Okay, can I evolve and figure out how I can serve those other entrepreneurs? Can I just only serve people who are at the beginning or can I just take a whole different path and go, I'm going to become a florist instead? You know, (laughs) there's that that kind of thing. But, you know, another cool thing, too. So that's kind of just from the solopreneur kind of perspective. But I'm just relating this to an event I was actually working yesterday. I was doing this very cool flower pop-up for Reitmans, the clothing brand. um, And they were uh, celebrating um, their spring preview. And it was so interesting to me because we were all it had a lot of influencers there and everyone was talking about their experience with Reitmans the brand and how their moms used to shop there and they had no idea how cool and elevated Reitmans could be because they're kind of going through this brand evolution in uh, 2026 they'll be celebrating 100 years of Reitmans which is just this wild piece of information and you know for our generation we think okay our moms used to shop here that's that's kind of all i know i'm not going in there my whole perspective on the brand changed just by understanding this one little thing this this what what they're able to offer now too so i think the evolution can happen in so many different ways are you going to evolve to see what your customer needs now are you like you know what nope reitmans they 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 serve their one type of person and they understand that and they're cool with that or are they going to evolve and change and I think I think there's, you know, if we're going back to the vegetable thing, I think there's there's a lot of different ways we can make a stir fry. Are we just going to have corn on the cob? Are we going to have it all mixed? Whatever we want. But I think there's there's a lot of ways that we can approach the evolution of brands from. Mm,
2: totally agree. And and the permission slip, granted that like you're allowed to change your mind a little bit, that often comes up here as well, that we get so uh, consumed with one idea of who we are as people, who we are as entrepreneurs, the types of the type of worker we are, and, and this entrepreneurial kind of like hustle that that involves, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and this whole conversation. We've talked about a lot of great frameworks of actually talking about brand, et cetera. But what I'm leaving with is like, this is deeply personal. Like this is deeply mirrored in the stages of our lives and our priorities and how we want to present ourselves to the world um, and finding that comfort and that authenticity in our business life as well, because as entrepreneurs, it is so deeply interconnected um, often for great (laughs) reasons and often in really challenging ways too. Um, So this whole branding conversation has really been fascinating in that, that self-discovery prompt as well to figure out who are you as a founder and honing in on that as your kind of minimum viable brand sort of beginning part and building, you know, the tactics and all of the other things on top of that.
3: And one thing I want to add to that too is while it is, we are talking a lot about like pivoting and changing the brand at the same time, you can't be pivoting your brand all the time or else you don't have a brand, right? Your brands fester from consistency, Right. It's from saying that same thing that you might be bored of over and over and over and over again. And you're still bored of it, but you keep saying it in different ways and different angles um, because that's how people are going to start to remember you for that specific thing. Um, And also with your branding, you should know, like, why are you building it in the first place? Mm. Like, what's the intent? Right. Is um, are you developing your brand uh, as a founder to get more people to to build awareness of your product, your SaaS product that you sell. And if you are, then your personal brand should be very aligned with what your business brand is. Even though, you know, you might be really interested in leadership and you wanna talk a lot about leadership. If you're selling, going back to that restaurant technology product, if you're not talking to restaurateurs in your personal brand communication, then all the work that you're doing, unless you, for your, if your goal is to get more clients, and your brand is about motivation, you're not going to achieve that goal. If your brand is to become a leadership speaker, then sure, you can totally deviate off of um, what your company does. But just branding takes a lot of work if you actually want to have one. So just making sure that you have some sort of end direction or end point or what you actually want to get out of it, um, because then it'll, you'll get be more effective and you'll be prouder of yourself because it's going to help you achieve your goals.
2: Love that. Final words of advice, books resources, anything else that helps you in your day-to-day. Okay. A
3: book that I recommend for anyone who's interested in branding and wants to get, learn how to do branding and storytelling is this book here. It's called Story Addergy, Um, And it is by Matt Davies, who's a brand strategist, thought leader, really worth following. And what I love about this book um, is it breaks it down into a step-by-step process on how to create a brand from scratch. It can be used for personal branding, but it's made for business branding. And it's a really quick read with lots of visuals. Um, Highly recommend that as a resource.
1: Gorgeous. Rachel. Okay, I have two books that I grabbed from my bookcase, which I reference all the time. Um, the first one is called Career Gasm. It's by a Toronto local. Um, her name is Sarah Vermont. Um, she's a career coach. She's just Honestly, so fantastic. Her book uh, is something that I ended up reading after years of owning it because I was way too afraid to actually read it and realize, or kind of, I, I was afraid to discover that maybe what I was doing wasn't what I wanted to truly be doing. Um, that didn't end up happening. It just helped me get clearer to um what made sense more for me and and just helped me figure out my own personal messaging and kind of like the way i showed up in the work i did so i really recommend this book to to everybody the second book i'd like to add is called full-time you it's a workbook um by this amazing entrepreneur her name is meg lewis um and it's it's all about personal brand strategy, life fulfillment and career mission. And again, this really helped me during this transition, but both of these books I think just helped me kind of hone in on some of the the key messaging and the key direction that I wanted to go in no matter which form that showed up in the kind of work that I did. Mm-hmm.
2: Love it. These are three that I do not have on my list. So I will happily take these recommendations (laughs) and pop them into my library. Um, Any any final um, words of advice? There's one kind of key takeaway that you want to leave our listeners with after this super rich conversation. Um, What would be your one advice for founders listening in on today's episode? Reagan, kick us off.
3: Just start. Mm -hmm. Just start. If you, one that you can take from this is brands evolve over time. So you have to start from somewhere and don't overthink in what your brand is or expect it to be perfect because when you start, it never is perfect and it never is right. Cause you're always going to be self-critical of your brand and even what you feel in the outside, isn't what actually is perceived on the outside. Um, so just know that and just start.
1: Yes. OK, so piggybacking off of that, just start and then you can always change. Um, you can, you're you allowed to take a, a slight pivot or, you know, take a complete 360. Um, and there's a lot less people watching than you think. So wow. just do it anyways. I love <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so
2: much, Rachel. Thank you so much, Regan. This has been such a fabulous conversation. I've loved watching both of your brands evolve and the journeys that you've been on. Uh, So huge kudos to both of you in that journey and can't wait to see where you both go next. It's an exciting road ahead.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.